Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You don't know yeah, don't my Oreo. Okay, good. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you really know what happened? Yeah. The brother did. The brother. That's why I thought too. I mean, that seems like kind of obvious. Yeah. Just a talk about death. Yeah. I mean, I'm yeah, it only took all day. <laughs> we are just on our shit. Yeah, we're like really responsible people. We're like both very type A. Yeah, it's crazy like how efficient we are. Like, I would describe us both as extremely detail-oriented. Yeah, like... And diligent. The, pa- the podcast comes out on Wednesdays. We tend to record on maybe Sunday or Monday, <laughs> not Tuesday night. So we're just practicing our lying right now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I usually start my research, like, basically the next day. Like, decide what I'm going to do, and I, like, intend to, like, do it, like, very consistently. But it's usually, like, I'll do a bunch right at the early part. This is, like, how I am in school, too, right? And then to, like, feel like I'm ahead. And then... Yeah. You know, to give myself, like, a false sense of security. And then I'll procrastinate hard. So hardcore procrastinate. And then I'll get it all done right at the last minute. I do that with papers. I, like, wrote, I like write one page. And then I take a break. And that break lasts three days. Right. <laughs> it's like... I deserve a break. Oh, yeah. Great. <laughs> and then you think, like, oh, I could have been doing that the whole time. <laughs> like we were just talking about. Anyway, I think we got a couple of good ones for you today, though. I'm so excited. But I always say that, so. So excited. And I just can't hide it. Stop. I thought I'd, I'd do the bad singing this time, maybe. No, because you're a good singer. Uh, But I can also be a bad singer. Yeah, but you can't, like, be a bad singer like I can be a bad singer. Because I'm, like, actually a bad singer. <laughs> you're not a bad singer. You you're just you don't sing as well as other some other people. 
But, I mean, you, you've you been in choir before. Like, you could basically carry a tune. I guess. But I think it's also that you're, like, a low alto, and you usually try to sing stuff that's, like, not actually in your range. Yeah. So that, like... It's hard to find that. Like, all the Disney songs are, like, soprano. Well, yeah, because there's, like, no solo altos. Well, there are, there is repertoire, but, you know, it's, like, just not as... I think Elsa is an alto. I don't know. I'd have to go back and watch it again. And maybe Moana. Hers is mm, pretty low. Yeah. I'd say she's more of a mezzo. Mezzo than an alto, but... Yeah. I mean, sense. everyone's different. Anyway. Welcome to Mystery Murdery Thingy. This is Mystery Murdery Thingy, where we do mysteries. And mi- mis- oh, murderies. And thingies. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Mine's a thingy this week. Mine is a straight up murdery. Yeah, I was so like. So much murder. So when we were like um, researching and napping today. Yeah. It's like the main things that we did today. Um, but like alternately, like I was napping and you were researching at one point and you just kept being like, Oh my God, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, oh, oh Jesus Christ. Yeah. Like it was sounded really bad. It's good. It's good. It's, it's good in the sense that it's very gory. No, no. It's okay. Like I'll let you tell your story. There's just a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to tell your story for you, but I'm going to go first because yes, mine is yes, not. Yes. Not murder. We usually like to start with the not murdery and move sort of ease into the murder. I think I'm also gonna get up because this chair is like. Okay. I almost died. <laughs> I'm gonna be over here because that chair is like making noise and it's annoying me. It's weird that you're here over here now. Is it? I'm like the student and you're the teacher. It's like disorienting. I think I'll probably cut out this part. Or I don't know. Okay. Okay. I know, but like when I was editing one of the, not the last one, but the one before that, I just kept hearing that like creaking sound. And I was like, oh, that's not great. Okay, so like I said, mine's a thingy this week. And I'm talking about (laughs) what? Nothing. Is that too enthusiastic? Am I doing my no, po- excited. Am I doing my podcasting voice too hard? <laughs> this yeah. is the voice when you do your podcast and you talk like that. I'm just like I think it, I imitate. I've told you this before. I think I imitate like Marcus from last podcast, just like unconsciously, because I like the way that he like tells the stories, like the inflections he does and stuff. He's cute. You think so? I think he's adorable. <laughs> yeah. You also think Benedict Cumberbatch is hot. We're gonna talk about him later. Teasing weird shit in the news. Shut up. Okay, so... I'm not alone. <laughs> no Sorry. one is alone. Um, so I'm going to talk about the Nazca lines, which um, a lot of people have heard of. I mean, I feel like they're pretty famous. I had not known what they are. Were like, there's been a, you know, like, History Channel um, segments on them. And, like, they're pretty, like, mainstream at this Nazca. point. Nazca. 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 You can spell it either with a Z or with an S. Nazca lines. Yeah, the Nazca lines. And what they are are hundreds, like probably over a thousand, um, what are called geoglyphs and biomorphs, which are etched pictures that are etched into the desert sands 
in um, that really, really like arid part of southwestern Peru, like right next to where the Atacama Desert is. The Atacama Desert is the driest place on Earth. It's the place on Earth that is most like the moon or like Mars in a way. Where it's it well Mars kind of because it, it the surface sand is like kind of oxidized so it looks kind of red like Mars does, and it's just like really arid. There's like very little wind, almost no rain. It rains less than an inch a year. Wow. And that's part of why these lines in the desert, like these etchings in the desert, have been able to persist for so long. Like they look essentially, although some of them have been damaged slightly, but essentially they look the same as they did like 2,000 years ago when they were first um, constructed. That's so cool. Yeah. And they were made by members of uh, what's called the Nazca culture, which was around from about 100 BCE to 800 CE. So remember, like we talked about last time, counting up as you go backwards so before the common era. Years. <clears throat> exactly, about 900 years. But they really flourished from um, the, the turn of, you know, from year one to about 600. That's kind of when they mostly made these things. And they were like a very technologically sophisticated culture for that time and place. And they actually even created these like underwater aqueducts. Uh, I think they're called like Boracuay or something like that. And they're, those are still used today. Like the people who live there still use them to get water 2,000 wow. years later. So, you know, clearly these the people. Fishes. Exactly. And, you know, I, I think they, they definitely had a deep knowledge of like engineering and, you know, management. And it seems like they were a sort of developed enough society and culture that they, you know, could have people specialize. And, and I think that speaks to kind of like, the context in which the Nazca lines were made, because they're very impressive, just in terms of, like, how the fuck did they do this? You know, people talk about that with, you know, like, Stonehenge. Like, we did the episode yeah. about, like, how did they move those stones? Or, you know, the same thing with the pyramids. So there, there, there's just, like, places throughout the world where it's like, how did ancient people do this? The Nazca lines are very much, like, in that tradition. Like, how the fuck did they do this? And as always... Some people say aliens. Aliens. <laughs> Probably not, but, you know, it's you, you, you gotta mention that every fucking time. <laughs> right. Um, so these, you know, big um, etchings in the desert, like I said, they were preserved by the climate there, you know, for almost 2,000 years. and there, but, but there has been a little bit of damage by, like, dumbass tourists, of course. That one trucker dude. That one trucker dude. Fuck that guy. I know. And this was like five months ago or four months ago. It was like very recently. This like idiot trucker guy, I guess he was like trying to save time. And he drove like straight through, you know, this like 300 foot area or whatever of of one of the, the areas with the Nazca lines. And I'm pretty sure he was like arrested because it's like illegal. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was designated a UNESCO World Heritage Site. It's like protected by Peru. Like, it's you in Peru. you can't do that. Peru. Yeah, it's in Peru. It's like I remember like 500, 800 miles south of Lima, which is the capital. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's like right on on the um, southeastern coast, but it's a really like high plain. 
so that's why it's like cut off from from the um, from the moisture from the, from the ocean. So that's why it's like so dry. Dry, okay. Yeah, because there's this like huge, um, you know, butt or whatever, you uh, know, uh, B U T T E, butte, or however you say oh. that word, that's that's like cutting it off from the ocean. There's just like a huge butt. It's like of a giant. I was really confused. But no, you know. I was like, are the mountains round? Like. <laughs> right, not exactly. <laughs> Um, so they were made, like, we know basically that they were made by removing the top 12 to 15 inches of desert. And when you do that, you take away that, like, top layer that's oxidized and rust-colored, and it leaves behind the undersand, which is white. So it creates this, like, really strong contrast. And that's why they're so, like, apparent when you're up in the sky or... You know, if they're smaller when you're down there, you, you can, like, really tell that it's a completely different thing. And they look like they were, like, drawn into the, you know, into the desert. And um, presumably the way that, that it's kind of like people think that they, they constructed these was by having uh, a rope strung along a series of, like, posts. Okay. So they would, like, put a post down and they would have a rope around that and they would have, like, one or maybe multiple posts and then there, so that would be like one person doing that along, you know, both sides, right? And then there'd be another person who would be like directing it. And in the case of like the lines, uh, some of which are like 30 miles long, like almost completely straight, you know, another third person or second person or whatever would be there, you know, telling them, okay, it needs to be a little bit more. It's not quite straight. Okay, they're all straight. Okay, let's move on to the next section. And they would kind of create them in that way and take away the sand either along the, those ropes or in some cases between them, creating like a negative image. So there's like two different types, basically. I don't understand how they'd move sand with rope. Oh, they don't move the sand with the rope. They, they have another wooden post that, they are, that they're using to take the sand away. So they they have oh, the posts okay. with the with the ropes wrapped around them to measure and like keep those are like the guidelines the guideposts, and then they have another wooden post that they're using to like take away the the sand draw the picture to actually like draw the picture exactly yeah, and um, this is you know supported by the fact that there have been some of these posts that have been found at the ends of those lines like they found you know mm-hmm. the ancient whatever remains of like this setup basically. So it seems pretty clear that's how they did it. Um, there's another sort of but more how sorry, keep going, keep going. Okay. There's another like more kind of outlandish theory of how they directed it. And that involves the use of an ancient hot air balloon. Yeah, so there's, like, one particular researcher, he's, like, obsessed with this idea, like, weirdly, that they had, like, hot air balloons in in ancient Peru somehow, and they, like, flew. Yeah, totally, because, of course. And there's no evidence for this in their, you know, I mean, they made drawings of stuff. They didn't make any drawings of themselves in a hot air balloon, right? (laughs) There's no materials left over that we found or anything. But he did make a usable hot air balloon. It flew for about two minutes, um, you know, got him whatever, a couple hundred feet in the air. 
um, using ancient materials and means that they would have had available at the time. That's weird. Which is a pretty typical way of, like, testing something like that out, but usually there's, like, some extant evidence or support for the theory. Like, it's not just, like, well, they could have done it. They could have done a bunch of different (laughs) stuff, right? Like, that doesn't really prove anything. And, um... So I think what what you might were maybe we're going to ask earlier was you know not only like from a physical standpoint how did they create these but how did they know what to do right on these huge scales yeah that's the other like that's probably the central mystery of the Nazca lines and what people think is that they used basically surveying techniques where they would create a grid and they would create smaller Im- you know images um, onto a smaller grid right. Um, to, to serve as a as a guide and then they would create the grid on a larger scale and then fill in the the grid you know as that, they went along that sounds like a lot of math it would have been a lot of math a, a lot of you know complex um, coordination between people and you know engineering but like we mentioned at the beginning and that's that's kind of why I wanted to talk about you know the the aqueducts a little bit I think they possessed those kinds of skills I don't think that that sort of coordination and engineering would have been beyond the Nazca people in terms of, you know, what what I read about them. So I think it's pretty plausible that that's how they did it. And, you know, again, there's not necessarily direct evidence of that. I mean, how could there be? Right? It, unless there were, like, writings. But it, from what I read, I, I'm not sure that they had a system of writing necessarily. So that, you know, that seems like how they probably directed it. Or aliens told them what to do. And we're <laughs> yep. up there, you know, uh, standing on, you know, the, um, the underbelly of their flying saucers. Sure. You know, maybe they used some form of ser- semaphore, you know, gave them some directions. Or maybe they just had a big map that they put on the bottom of the, you know, space saucer. and yeah, said, totally. like Pointed, you there, right now. Yes. Good. That's exactly how, I <clears> think that's the most believable one. So let's get into a little bit more of what exactly they are, right? So as I mentioned initially, there's over a thousand of them, 800 of them. So the vast majority are just straight lines, like extremely straight lines. And some are as long as 30 miles. A lot of them are less than that, a few miles maybe, but some of them are like 30 miles long. And they they intersect as well, and they create different geometric shapes um but some are also like freestanding geometric shapes that's about 300 of them and those are triangles rectangles trapezoids spirals zigzags wavy lines all different kinds of like symbology why right yeah why i know i know and and that's like a really hard question to answer We'll, we'll, we'll get into some of that here in just a second. So um, there are also 70 that are so-called biomorphs. And those are pictures of animals, humans, and plants. And those are up to 1,200 feet long. So not as big as the lines, but still freaking huge, you know. 1,200 feet long, uh, said on one of the websites, is like basically as big as the um, Empire State Building. So an Empire State Building large, you know, monkey or killer whale or whatever. Um, They also are so weird. Oh, you're looking at pictures now? 
Yeah, I'll yeah. post pictures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Holy moly. There's also a spider, a hummingbird, cactus plant, um, llama, duck, flowers, trees, a lizard, and a dog. And an astronaut. Well, the astronaut, yes. Uh, there's also the astronaut. I was going to mention that. Um, there's also some disembodied hands. Just just hands with no other body parts, which I think is kind of creepy. I don't know. And there are also some that we just simply don't know what they are. They're nothing that we, that we recognize. And this is, again, where the alien, you know, it's aliens, right? Good. Must be. Um, so there was also one that was found more recently in 2011 that seems to show a decapitation ceremony. (gasps) What? And that one's pretty small. It's like 16 feet by 12 feet. But this decapitation scene is part of the evidence of, you know, one theory of the why, right? Why did they do these? Why were they made? And the the theorizing about that, um, sort of the history of, you know, the the Nazca lines in the modern era started when they were rediscovered by the Peruvian archaeologist uh, Toribio Mejia Cespe in 1926. So we've only really known about them in the, the modern world for about, you know, 85 years or so, 80 years, 90 years. I'm not good at math. 90 years, I guess, now. So... Um, they, but they weren't like extensively studied until flight became regular in that area of the yeah, world, which yeah. was in the thirties. And that's when people were like, oh shit, like there's like tons of these things and they make pictures and like, what are these? Bucket list. Right. Uh, Atlas Obscura is doing a, a trip partly to the, partly to these in, uh, 2019. So <laughs> start saving up, right? Um, so an, an early researcher, um, an American named Paul Cossack, went and did an extensive, I think probably the f- one of the first like extensive studies of them in 1941. And he just happened to be standing at the base of one of the long lines on the evening of June 22nd, 1941, which is one day after the winter solstice. And he noticed that the line was directing, uh, directly pointing at the sunset. And from that, he surmised, right, he, he sort of intuited, oh, these lines must be some kind of astronomical guide, right? That's too crazy of a coincidence to be a coincidence. And he called them, uh, the Nazca lines, quote, the largest astronomy book in the world, unquote. Okay. So that was his theory of, okay, why did they make these? Maybe the lines are some kind of, you know, astronomical guide or, you know, whatever. But they're also pictures. Like, right. that's what's like, they're just like straight up pictures. Yeah, there, and there's also the pictures. Um, so German researcher um, who was like a little bit after him, uh, Maria Reicha, who's known as the Lady of the Lines, uh, which yeah. I think is kind of... <laughs> It's sort of a weird nickname, but okay. Um, studied and protected the Nazca lines for about 40 years. So this was like her life's work to decipher them and to keep people away because people fuck shit up. Yeah. Which they've done, like that dumbass trucker <laughs> who didn't, didn't have Maria there to stop him. Um, and she actually lived in like a small house near the desert to like literally like keep watch over them. Wow. So like, yeah, she was like fucking serious. And she 
shared Kasich's, um astronomical theory. Like, she thought that that's why the, the lines were made, basically. But that theory has been basically disproven in, in modern times, um, or more, more recently, I suppose. And the, the way that we know that that is almost certainly not why they were made is because there was a statistical analysis done of them by a research team. So they, they looked at, you know, the position of a large set of these lines and they compared that to astronomical phenomena and such. And they found that they didn't match up with that stuff any more often than a set of random lines. Oh, okay. So, so it was maybe a coincidence, like a one-time thing. Exactly. It does seem to have been, uh, you know, counter to his tuish- intuition simply a random coincidence and and there are other places in the world you know like stonehenge where people have done similar analyses and they've shown very exact correspondences with astronomical phenomena so you know the the i think it's a good test you know it it seems to to yeah so that's not why so that doesn't really answer the question. I know, but, right? <laughs> but at but least, still, you know, still, it's like an interesting way to look at it. Yeah, and it, it sort of forecloses that possibility for the most part. So, But like you say, it doesn't even address the, the animal pictures or anything like that. So it's really, it would really only have been a partial explanation anyway. So are they all close together? Are they in like one um, general area or are they spread yeah. out? No, they're, they're fairly close together. I think the area in which they are all of them I think it's in like a like a hundred mile area or something like that okay so you know what what probably would have been within you know the the basic dominion of a you know small to medium sized but well developed city state you know in South America at that time you know nothing like the Aztecs you know who would have been spread out over thousands of square miles but you know certainly a, a, a substantial you know little society within itself which I think is also interesting to think about, you know, just those people and, like, you, the culture that was, like, around this. And, you know, that's sort of a whole other mystery in and of itself. Like, um, but that's sort of a different thing. So, like we mentioned earlier, another theory, a bit more outlandish, says that maybe the lines were an alien landing strip. <laughs> of course. Bring them that, down. That doesn't make any sense. And as I've said, I like hearing the alien ones to mm-hmm. see like where the logic could come from, but that one doesn't make any sense at all. In any way, I- including because if there were ship, you know, spaceships that li- like, let's take this seriously for one second, right? Yeah. If there were literally spaceships, which are presumably very large and heavy, that came down onto the desert during that time, don't you think there'd be some evidence of that in the sand? Look. These lines are still there 2,000 years later. Why wouldn't the evidence of these landings be there 2,000 years later? So to me, that in and of itself is like, couldn't, it couldn't possibly be the case. Plus, stuff can't really land there. It's like very soft. Yeah. You know, it would just sink down. Um, and wouldn't, if they had like, I don't know why, I'm, I'm picturing like a helicopter. But the sand would move. Right? Uh, presumably, there would also be some movement in the sand. There would be some physical evidence in the sand. There, and yeah. there is none. So you're wrong. I'm sorry. About <laughs> you fucking conspiracy theorist. <laughs> no, no. Conspiracy theorists are great people, I'm sure. But some of them. Um, so anyway, that's... Aliens, probably not. 
So, sorry to bur <laughs> burst your bubble about the aliens. Um, a more plausible theory is that the lines and the biomorphs were tied to kind of a more general ceremonial practice, probably tied to invoking godly intercession for water, obviously. And that's kind of the presumption because water is extremely scarce in this area, as we talked about. And um, the, the people, you know, would have been, you know, trying to get some kind of, you know, which mirrors um, practices that are done in other parts of South America today. I think they said in like Chile or something, mm -hmm. there's um, this uh, ritual practice where people dance or walk along a long line between different, um, you know, little kind of um, shrines and like stuff. Like a rain dance? They're doing a rain dance, exactly. That's that's like literally what they're doing in, in some of these instances. So they, they, they think that that might have been the same thing happening here, that people would have taken pilgrimages, you know, along these lines to intercede, you know, for, for water, to do the rain dance, in other words. And that um, traditional practice probably also included ritual sacrifice. Oh, man. And that's where the these, like, headless bodies come in, right? What? So, yeah, headless bodies out of nowhere. Bang. Eight <laughs> headless bodies. Yeah, that's right. This story just got a little bit murdery. <laughs> so there have been eight of these headless bodies discovered. I just like saying headless bodies. I don't know why. Ichabod Crane or something. So they've been found in tombs at the end of some of these lines. And it appears that they were like very honored dead. So it appears that they were sacrificed in, in a very like ceremonial kind of honorific manner. And there's a, a researcher from Texas State University named Christina Conley who said, and this was on the uh, unmuseum.org site, that, quote, human sacrifice and decapitation were part of powerful rituals that would have allayed fears by invoking the ancestors to ensure fertility and the continuation of Nazca society. The decapitation of the Latiza individual appears to have been part of a ritual associated with ensuring agricultural fertility and the continuation of life and rebirth of the community, unquote. So I felt like that was like a really good kind of just encapsulation, you know, from an academic who actually knows, you know, what the fuck she's talking about. Yeah, that's super interesting. It is. And it's a little bit intuited, but there, there's there's evidence, you know, in their drawings and in pottery. And so, you know, it seems like this is probably why they did some of this stuff. And I think it also speaks to why they could only be seen from the sky, why that would make sense. Because presumably they would have, you know, been praying to sky gods who would have seen them from was, the sky. That's what I was thinking of, yeah. Right, because that's a very, like, common human thing to have sky gods. So, you know, I, I, I think that, that kind of makes sense to me at least. And let's see, what else was I going to say about that? Oh, yes, that's right. So the other sort of mystery around that part of it, right, because they didn't find the heads, right? Ever? They, yeah, exactly. The heads are not extant. Instead of heads, they found these like little ceremonial funereal pots that had some of the same drawings on them. Like they had the killer whale drawing and the monkey drawing. 
and um, that's why they think you know these things must be tied together, right? The the lines and the drawings in the desert, and the ceremonial practice. I, I mean, just I'm just like spitballing here. But, but where do the bodies come from? Where do those fit in? Well, what I'm thinking is that they thought we need to make a sacrifice to the gods in, in order, you know, to give them like um, a reason or you know to pay them back for what they're giving us, right? I think that's that's the usual kind of thinking in these sort of ritual practices. So what's the most valuable thing that you possess in, you know, in any society? Human life. Human life is always the most valued. So naturally the gods would also highly value a sacrificial human life. And they would have oh. used the same symbols and done it in the same place and then maybe created these symbols on a larger scale to say, you know, to, to sort of signal to the gods, you know, these things are tied together. When we do this, we're, you know, reaching out to you and we're creating all this stuff for you. So give us something too, water so we can live because we're people and we need water. But we yeah. live, live in a fucking desert. <laughs> I don't know. They, they, they should have just moved into the mountains or something. I don't know. But instead they did this. Maybe they eventually did. That's true. Because, I mean, they did eventually go away or whatever happened. So, yeah. So, anyway, just to get back to what happened to the heads. So, what probably happened to the heads was they were taken as what are called trophy heads. Which were a common practice in the Nazca culture to take these so-called trophy heads and what the Nazca people did was, with the decapitated heads, they would remove the brain and the soft tissue right through the nose. They would, like, pull all that stuff out, the stuffing inside of the head. It's very gross. Yeah, just think about that for a second. <laughs> then they would uh, sew up the lips with um, cactus spines, and they would drill a hole through the forehead... And then they would put a loop in it, and um, they would put a, a woven rope through that loop. And then they would hang them up and look at them, I guess, or uh, something. It seems very disturbing and macabre to us. Yes. And, and I'm sure that it's revolting on a basic level to everyone listening to this, including myself. But just know and remember that... In every culture, there are certain practices that seem abhorrent to other cultures <laughs> and try at least in some way to see it on its own terms. I'm not trying to, like, justify human killing. Obviously, that's terrible and no one should do human sacrifice or keep human heads around. But, you know, try to understand that they had a reason for doing these things. They weren't savages. I guess they, they weren't backwards. Works. It's you important know, to remember, I suppose. They were a very highly developed, technologically sophisticated culture that also kept human heads around. <laughs> it's a it's a paradox, right? But it doesn't make them savages. Anyway, I'm I'm sure you don't think that and most moving people on. don't, but anyway. Moving on. And it was thought at first that they were, like, war trophies, you know, the, these, like, heads, the trophy heads. But uh, DNA has actually showed that they were Nazca people. So that's where they think, oh, maybe these are the heads from the ritual sacrifices that we found, like, the rest of the bodies from. So, yeah, that's that mystery. 
Um, there have also been other lines that have been found in, um, you know, this general area of South America, including what's thought as the largest known human figure in the world, which is called the Giant of Atacama, um, which I think is a pretty cool name. And it's uh, 393 feet high, and it's surrounded by other kind of geometrical lines and stuff. And um, it was made before. So it, it was made probably, I think, by this um, preceding culture called the Paracas that probably had an influence on the, on the um, Nazca. But is it still, is it still lined in the sand? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's still the same basic thing where it's the removal of the sand's top layer, probably made in the same way. But, you know, it's, it's like a slightly different um, thing as well. It's slightly different style, let's say. So um, there were also some new lines that were discovered, like, just this month. What? Yeah. The timing. I know. It's crazy. Um, although I do have to admit that's part of why I did this. <laughs> so it's not, okay. that, it's not that crazy. Um, and those include a, a, another killer whale. That one seems to, like, come up a lot. I think that must have been, like, a really important symbol to them, like the killer whale, which makes sense. And a woman dancing. And these are also older than the Nazca lines. Um, but these ones were made in a hillside, so they were actually visible oh, from the ground. Okay. So I think that's kind of interesting, too. I think that might show kind of an evolution where, you know, at first they had them up where they could see them, and then they thought, well, maybe that's not necessary anymore, or maybe they I don't know. Maybe they wanted people to, be, to see them. Well, yeah, I'm sure, but then that became not important for some reason. I don't know. A lot of them were also a lot smaller than the Nazca lines, so I think that kind of shows the development as well. Anyway, that's my story for this week. Yay! And my sources were um, History.com, the Nazca lines page, a story by Suameda Sud on BBC.com on the travel section, uh, the Reuters staff, um, a article uh, with the headline, Archaeologists Discover New Geoglyphs Near Nazca Lines in Peru. Um, a story by Megan Specia in the New York Times. Jason Galom in National Geographic. Lee Christek in the Museum of Unnatural Mystery. Ooh, which is at unmuseum.org. Uh, seemed like a really cool site. Um, Atlas Obscura, their page on the Nazca Lines. And like I said, they are actually doing a trip down to Peru in 2019. And uh, USA Today, a story there called Massive New Drawings Revealed in Peru, and they're much older than the Nazca Lines. And of course, Wikipedia, the Nazca Culture page. You had a lot. Was well, so I had a lot of sources. It's funny because my write-up wasn't actually that long, but, um, you know, it's just, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I got a good, a good, uh, you know, spread around of, of sources. So, me next. Uh, yeah, I think it's you next, right? Are you? Oh, you're the only other person. Oh, okay. Then probably yes. Um, if you haven't gone, raise your hand. <laughs> <laughs> With the real closes out, please stand up. <laughs> Don't. You can sit down. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna talk about the Bra Brabant. Belgium. <laughs> Stop laughing at me. Sorry. You were like look, looking up all the pronunciations. I know you want to do well. I know. I, I did. I messed up. Whatever. It's fine. 
some crazy ass killers in Belgium. So they um, did a ton of armed robberies, mass shootings, they targeted people. This shit is insane. Um, and I was like so surprised I had never heard about it before. So they're also known as the Gang of Navel, Navel. And they, okay, so their spree lasted three years from uh -huh. 1982 to 1985. Over that period of time, 20 people were killed and 40 plus more were injured. Whoa. Yeah. So it's believed that the gang consisted of several people um, that assisted the three like core leaders who like did um, the legwork. And there wasn't always three men seen in like each one, but they were all basically the same. So the participants were known as the giant, which was um, a man who was always described as being the tallest. And so uh, he's seen as the leader, the killer, who was the main shooter, and the old man, who was the getaway driver. Hmm. And to this day, they are still unknown. Ooh. Wow. Um, That's fucked up. They got yeah. away with over 20 murders? Yeah. But, Jesus. But, but there was a deathbed confession of some guy who said he was part of them. Okay. I'll and, believe it. Yeah. I will believe any deathbed confession. Me too. <laughs> okay, so... The majority of attacks took place in the in the province of Brabant. So others were done in uh, the Belgian provinces of East Flanders, Namur, Anu, and one in Mabouge, France. So they were Mabouge. kind of Mabouge. Yes, <laughs> they were all in the general um, vicinity, but they weren't all in like the same exact whatever. Right. Okay. It's like the, the Flanders region, right? Yes. So. I'm going to talk about each attack in explicit detail. I'm just kidding. There's so many. Um, but I'm starting in 1982. So the first one in 1982 happened in March. March 13th it was a theft of a shotgun at a store in Dinan. A witness sees two men fleeing the scene. They're described as one was being 20, 30 years old, tall, skinny, blonde haircut, and the other being about 50 years old, graying slightly smaller than the first. The next one was May 10th. Two men, each armed with a revolver, revol revolver, forced the driver of a gray Austin Allegro to lay on the ground and hand over his keys, and they successfully make off with his car. So the car is found later the same day at a showroom slash garage in Lembique where a Volkswagen Santana was then found to be stolen. So they abandoned the gray Austin there and stole the Volkswagen. They, what they found was that they forced the lock at the bottom of the glass entrance door to break in. They stole the car and the ignition keys were like in the vehicle, which I can't really figure out why, but it was, it was a showroom. So, um, the next was August 14th. This was another armed robbery. And this time was at a grocery store in Mabouge, France. Food, wine, champagne, and goose liver are stolen. Here's the thing. They always steal, like, weird stuff. Hmm. It's a very interesting... All of them are very interesting. Mm -hmm. So this time, a telephone call was made to the police that a robbery was in progress. And the police arrive on foot, but they're shot and wounded by the burglars. They, 
the burglars leave in what is recognized as the blue VW Santana, which was stolen back in May. Mm-hmm. And that happens a lot. Mm-hmm. They're seen in a car that they had previously um, stolen. Very brazen. Yes. Yes, that's like exactly what I was thinking. So September 30th, armed robbery of a weapons dealer in Waaf, Belgium. There were three um, men this time, un- all of them unknown, who forced the people inside to lay on the ground. This became like a, a part of their MO, like classic, get everybody under control, everybody lay on the ground. They managed to steal 15 different firearms, including submachine guns. Oh. The arms dealer and existing customers, um, they're, th- some of them are shot, and a policeman was killed after they opened fire as they left the store. Wow. They were gun crazy. Yeah, it seems like they were pretty trigger happy. Yes, very much so. And they would shoot stuff up to scare people. Wow. Yeah. Um, and they also have a good amount of police chases. The police chased them down, um, but they got away in their in their VW Santana. Um, I can't ha- imagine getting away in a VW Santana. <laughs> I don't even know what the fuck that looks like, but anyway. <laughs> it, look, it looks like a normal car. Oh, okay. So... This time, the police um, actually ended up blocking their route. Sure. And uh, the car collided straight into the police car. Um, After this, a shooting takes place, and two policemen are seriously injured. The uh, car drives away, but it's found at 10.30 that night, and the back seat had been removed. It was sprinkled with gasoline and set on fire. So their getaway car is gone. Right. The last one of that year, 1982, was, was on December 23rd at the Het Kassiel in, in Biersel. Um, Mark van den Einde discovered the body of his father, Jose van den Einde. Um, the victim was handcuffed and killed with eight bullets in his head. What? And again, three men were seen um, leaving the scene, all described the same way as they had been before. Right. And then 1983, January 12th, the body of a 58-year-old taxi driver, Angelou Constantine, was found in the... Okay, so the page that I was looking on was the official police investigation page, and it was in German, and so Google Chrome translated it for me. So sometimes there's, like, weird words. And so it, he, the body of the taxi driver, Angelou Constantine, was found in the, quote, suitcase of his taxi. So I decided that was probably maybe, like the back seat or maybe he was in the trunk or maybe he was in the driver's seat i don't i was thinking probably the trunk the trunk do you think so yeah yes so bullets from a 22 caliber were found in his neck uh february 11th armed robbery of a supermarket in Rixensar, belgium three armed men enter and threaten the store supervisor then two of the three of them move to where um, they're, uh, the other employees are counting money, and so one is like on lookout. They it was like this was kind of like classic like one lookout here, one one controlling people over here, one taking the money over here. Right. Um, Division of labor always a good idea, whether you're robbing a bank or <laughs> you know just running a lemonade stand. Awesome, sounds great. And that's uh, Mario. Uh, Talks economics. Doop 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 doop. I think I'm like Susie Orman. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, armed robbery supermarket. 
so the employees are told to lay on the ground while um, they take the money. They end up with 17,163 euros, which in today's US dollar is a little over 20 grand. They fire shots at people as well as multiple shots at an Audi 100 as they leave the, the place. And they flee this time in a dark Puget 504. February 14th, which was three days later, a woman pulls into her driveway one evening and she notices a Puget 504 following her. Um, a man gets out of the, the 504, holds a gun to her stomach and forces her to give him the keys to her VW Golf. The one perp drives away in the Golf while the other, while the other man in the Puget follows. February 22nd, the Audi 11 with the multiple bullet holes that um, was shot at in the other supermarket armed robbery, um, it's stolen out of a garage that it was, uh, had been repaired in. February 25th, um, armed, hold on, my computer just fucked up. Okay, armed robbery at another supermarket in Yukol, Belgium. Two men are seen this time. One threatens staff and customers while the other forces an, an employee to open the, in the, on the website, it said, quote, fire case. I'm guessing that's the safe. <laughs> Must be. Um, she doesn't have the key. He destroys a nearby phone with a club out of anger and until another employee presents him with the key. Um, they came out with 14,874 euros, about $17,443. Um, that's how much they stole. Meanwhile, a witness gets help to a nearby gas station like while this is happening, but he is seen by the first armed guy and he punches him in the eye and shoots him in the knees. Ooh. Yeah. March 3rd, another supermarket armed robbery in Halle. Halle! I think it was Halle. It was something like Halle, Belgium. Um, Halle at us, Belgium. Halle! Um, so they did the same thing, classic. Everybody lay on the floor um, or we'll shoot you right. while uh, we're taking this motherfucker. you lead us to the safe. So the store, the director, the one who led him to the safe, um, he's later found killed with a bullet in his head. Oh my God. And they are taking a whole shit ton of money, $34,366. Um, and they flee in a Volkswagen Golf, which they had stolen from the woman a couple months before. I feel like they're running like their own personal car dealership. <laughs> in addition to like, murder factory it's like, weird oh my god <laughs> so may 7th another supermarket armed rob robbery in hudang gugnies belgium less than twenty two thousand dollars was stolen and nobody was killed june 8th a saab 900 turbo was stolen out of a garage in denuit september 10th factory robbery in temzi seven bulletproof vests were stolen the caretaker of the factory is found dead in his house with, a, with four bullet wounds in his head, and his wife is found badly injured. Um, the neighbors were awakened by gunshots and were then also attacked by the perps, and the windows of their homes were shattered with bullets. And the, um, there are like two daughters found them. Oh. Yeah, super sad. Sep yeah, this whole thing's pretty sad. <laughs> September 17th, theft at a 24-hour self-service center in Nivelle and a murder of a couple in a white Mercedes. This is during the time that they're definitely escalating and that more and more people are getting killed for, like, really stupid reasons before mm. they're just being in the way or 
being a witness and stuff like that. They seem to have really enjoyed the killing. I mean, yes. you don't shoot someone in the head eight times to kill them. Yeah. You shoot someone eight times in the head because you like shooting people in the head. Yeah, it's fucked up. Like, clearly these were all deeply psychopathic people. Oh, yeah. So, the burglars used a gas burner to break into the back entrance. The alarms go off, and then the police are called. They're there within minutes. Mm. And they are immediately attacked, and a shootout begins. Two police were shot as they arrived on the scene. Um, the bodies of a couple were found behind some shopping carts, and that was the couple who had pulled up in a white Mercedes um, while the like burglary was happening. Um, the men escaped in the stolen Saab Turbo, um, as well as they also took the white Mercedes, the couple's white I knew, Mercedes. I knew you were going to say that. Yep, yep. <laughs> After shooting at, at the police car that at one of the police car that ended up following them, they escaped down a little known road, and the Saab was later found abandoned. That was one of their big things was that they would there were roads and um lit and like just unknown shortcuts that they all right. had access to, right. um, and the cars were found uh, usually found abandoned along those roads, um, in forests, and um, there they were sometimes on fire. Mm. So. They ended up stealing 20 kilos of tea, 20 kilos of coffee, and 10 liters of cooking oil. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like they were trying to set up, like, a bunker or something. Maybe they knew they would have to, like, maybe go somewhere and just, like, wait it out for a while. Well, there's some theories that I'll talk about um, okay. at the end. So, October 2nd, armed robbery of a restaurant in Ohain, Belgium. Um, threatened... The threatened the owner and many employees um, to hand over the cash, classic, get on the floor, I'll kill you. Um, this time they took off with a red Volkswagen Golf GTI, and the owner of the restaurant, a man named Jacques Van Kamp, was found in the parking lot with a serious head wound and other bullet wounds, and he later died from his injuries. October 7th, five days later, armed robbery of a supermarket again in Biersel. One of the three perps that were seen... One of them takes a customer hostage, holding a gun to his neck, forces him to go to the cash register. And while that happens, the manager enters and he's immediately killed. And another customer is also badly wounded. This time they left with a little under $35,000. December 1st, this time this was a double murder and a theft at a jewelry shop. So um, at least three men were seen entering the shop. Uh, the owner and his wife were both killed uh, found by their two young daughters. They left with some jewels, a revolver, and left in a black Volkswagen GTI, the same as the one from the restaurant shooting in October, but they painted it black. <laughs> okay. So, moving into 1985. At this point in their killing spree, the burglars, they're ex escalating, like, nobody's business. And more people are being killed. It seems um, they start to focus less on the money and more on the people. Um, it didn't start till later in the year. The first one was September 27th. Another supermarket armed robbery. Less than $6,000 were taken and three people were shot. And then about 15 to 20 minutes later, another supermarket was robbed, less than $25,000 stolen, and five people were killed and one was wounded. So the details of that. Um, on the, in the first supermarket robbery, three men 
exit a vehicle parked near a restaurant in the vicinity of the supermarket. They see a child fucking take him <gasps> and walk into the store, like gun held to this kid's fucking head. Oh my God. Three customers that were standing outside, one was immediately shot and killed and the other two fled. They entered the store with the kid, clapped everybody, get on the ground, we'll kill you. One man who didn't get on the floor fast enough was shot in cold blood. A clerk empties the cash registers into a paper bag. Meanwhile, um, the lookout, one of them who's on the lookout, oh yeah, one purpose on the lookout, while the other demands that the manager open the safe. But the manager doesn't have the means to do so, but they're satisfied with the money from the registers. At this point, there's like, they have right. like no time because there's fucking gunshots and like cops are coming. Yeah. Um, they leave. They still have the kid with them. They notice someone hiding in the little arc in the as they're like walking out. They notice somebody hiding in like a little arcade and they shoot him. Um, they get they get to the. Hold on, I lost my spot. Okay. Okay, yeah. They get to the parking lot, see a van, and fire up to eight shots into that van. The driver was killed and the son was seriously injured, but the son managed to flee. They let the kid go, and they drove off in their fucking Volkswagen Golf that they painted fucking black. Yeah. Yeah. So then the one that happened 15 to 20 minutes later on the same day, another supermarket held up in, this time in Overees, less than $25,000 were stolen, five people killed, one wounded. In the parking lot, three children were playing with their bikes. The perps asked them to get up off their bikes and leave. Two of them leave, and the others ruthlessly shot while trying to leave. One perp finds a victim and uses him as a shield as they enter the supermarket. And then again, same MO. Everybody get on the floor, I'm going to kill you. They shoot. They start shooting random stuff to scare people, to tell people that they're serious. Um, they shoot towards the registers. They wounded several people. Another perp leaves to go find the safe. Um, so and then they, he takes the money from there and meanwhile another the lookout he guards the customers in the store and they end up leaving with the hostage after looting several cash registers the driver of another vehicle is being attacked as they as they walk out and this is also goes with the theory that there were people helping them and there mm-hmm. were more getaway cars and mm-hmm. stuff like that um, but he manages to escape the other person in the parking lot is shot cold-blooded as he tries to get into his car. So it, a lot of it was like wrong place, wrong time right. type of shit. Basically, if they saw you and they felt like it, they would shoot you. Yeah. Um, and the hostage that they took is killed by multiple shots um, from two different guns, two of, the, two of them. So November 9th, this... 1985. This is the last attack, and this is the last time that any of the burglars were seen. So the robbers, uh, the burglars, robbers, whatever, they were wearing bizarre face paint and disguises, and they were always masked. They always um, had their identities. And um, there were multiple different types of um, descriptions, but it always, like, had the same, like, this one was tall, this one was shorter, but definitely older. And this, and there was always another guy in a car, like, ready for the get-out. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were wearing bizarre face paint and disguises. They started yelling at customers. They taunted people. They shot anyone who looked at, at them, including kids. Witnesses said the shootings were done mainly by the killer. 
Um, and at this point, it seemed more like executions. Um, two children at the exit were wounded, and one woman who had been blocking the we- blocking the exit was shot and killed. Um, there was another shootout with police in the parking lot as their cars sp- car sped away. So this is like some pop, pop, action movie bullshit right here. Um, and the Volkswagen uh, that was discovered was burnt in the forest the next day. It was found the next day. And so throughout these three deadly pretty fucked up years um their mode of operation began to come pretty clear so their they had weapons and the weapons were always of interest they were always looking for more weapons to take specifically 12 gauge pump shotguns that were loaded with a rare heavy buckshot Mm. many of the stolen cars that were used in their getaways um were modified and they were modified in a way that would have required a mechanics expertise and the um getaway driver was highly skilled and the routes were fast and they were hard to find they were these were all planned so i think the biggest question here is how did they how did they get away and so it's that's what i've been wondering this whole time yeah it's believed that the gang had some corrupt policemen working for them Mm. in on it um, it's also believed that there were more than three people helping out the raids. Um, like I said before, it's possible there was an entire team, perhaps. Um, they know that this is was ended up being a pretty big gang of people, even though there were three main people who were mostly seen, and it seemed like they were the ones who did um, the, the quote-unquote dirty work. Um, so some conspiracy theories link these killings as political acts, um, as to tar- to um, do a cover-up of a targeted assassination. There was one guy in um, shot in one of the supermarkets who people believe that he was targeted. Um, there's evidence indicated that they were professional killers and that they were involved in drug smuggling and robberies. So that's why, that's also why I was looking at the weird stuff that they took. Mm-hmm. It like made sense that they were like making drugs and shit. Sure. So... Yeah, so all this was tragic, pretty fucked up. It did allow Belgium to add more security to various places, and they revisited their gun laws, and they also looked at the um, the uh, police, the, like their police forces, and um, rooted out some corruption there. Yes, yes. So that's yeah. the killing spree of wow. the. Brabant Belgium killers. Well, I can see why you kept being like, whoa, that's fucked up. Exactly. Um, wow. Lots of fucked up shit in yeah. that one. Wow. So I got my source from, there wasn't a lot of sources. The most sources were from art, um, articles talking about the guy who had a deathbed confession. Oh, right, right, right. Um, but my sources were Wikipedia, and the other one was the official website of the police investigation, killersbrabant.be. Cool. Key. That's key. So, are Cut. we moving on? Wait, what? Are we moving on to weird shit? Weird shit in, in the, the news. news. Weird, weird shit, shit in the news. Weird. Weird shit in the news. That's so weird. I do. <laughs> <laughs> you want to go first? <laughs> Ooh, that was creepy. Uh, was that good? Was that, that a good creepy, creepy laugh? No. <laughs> Stop it. I'm the killer clown. Stop it. Doesn't that sound like a killer clown, though? 
Hiya, Georgie. Hiya, Georgie. We all float down here, Georgie. Oh, shut the fuck up. <laughs> Do you want to float too? Um, that's my impression of Pennywise. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you. So I'm going to do two good shits in the news. Ah, uh, good shit. Mm, mm, good shit. <laughs> and they are... Okay, I have a question for you. What do Benedict Cumberbatch and Mamadou Gassama have in common? I don't know who Mamadou Gassama is. They're both fucking heroes. One of them you know, one of them not so much. <laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch plays Sherlock, amongst other many other roles. A very famous person. And apparently, also I'll tell his st- that story first and then the other one. So, um, many stories about this, but uh, there's one in the Washington Post. Uh, let's see who's it by. Um, by Alex Horton. Sherlock star Benedict Cumberbatch raced to save a man from attacker, Uber driver says. So he and his wife, Benedict Cumberbatch and his wife, were. Babadook excuse me. Cumbersnatch. Right, Babadook Cumbersnatch. <laughs> and, and his wife were taking an Uber back from dinner or something. And so this was like two blocks away from fucking Baker Street, which is just even crazier. And they see a little gang of people attacking a bike delivery guy. And immediately, Benedict Cumberbatch is like, no. Nah, Ain't gonna happen on my watch. Jumps out of the car. Race it, Benedict Cumberbatch to the rescue. Oh, what a guy! Um, and basically the attackers run off because it's like it's fucking Benedict Cumberbatch running at you. <laughs> and uh, the the guy, you know, he had some cuts and bruises and stuff, but he would have been real fucked up if if Mister Cumberbatch had not. Uh, come to the uh, proverbial rescue. I love him. Other story. Um, oh, and the other thing about that is, like, he did not want credit, which I think is great. He was, like, did not want it to be a thing, but, of course, it was always going to be a thing because it's fucking Benedict Cumberbatch. Okay, so the other one, um, and this is about, uh, from a story, rather, from BBC News, and the headline is Mamadou Kasama. Molly Spider-Man to be made French citizen. So you may have seen this video of a Malian uh, migrant uh, named Mamadou Gassama, and there was a child who was like hanging off of a balcony. Oh, 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 oh. Right, that like was his fourth. Name. Or, yeah, that's okay. his name. Like fourth or fifth story balcony, while the kid's dad is like being a fucking idiot, and uh, Mr. Gassama, first thing he thinks is okay. Mamadou Gassama, to the rescue! <laughs> and he scales up the side of this building and saves this kid's life. Yeah, I saw this video. Nuts. That yeah. dude is fast. It's uh, like yeah. parkour shit. He is like Spider-Man. <laughs> like, it's crazy. Appropriately named. Very apt. And he uh, saved this kid's life, became a national hero. He met with President Macron. Uh, was given French citizenship and offered a job as, of course, a fireman. Awesome. So, yeah, that's those are my, the two heroes of the week. Okay, you didn't do weird shit in the news. I, you did good shit in the news. You're right. breaking the rules. Yes, that's why I... they call me Jesus the Rule Breaker. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Oh, was that? Oh, was that? Uh, is that not okay? He was annoying. <laughs> Most annoying one in the movie. Anyway, moving on. 
So I, okay, this is from the Bellingham Herald article by Josh Magnus and the, and the, uh, the title says, quote, you're going to die. Dog poop debate ends with three shot and police standoff. What? Washington cops say. Oh, my God. So basically, this is in Yakima, Washington. Um, a dude named Carl Song with his cousin, Michael, and Shauna. And their 62-year-old... Shauna! Their 62... <laughs> 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 Their sixty, their sixty-two-year-old neighbor, neighbor, came up neighbor. to them, came up to them wielding a gun, and he he blamed them for the dog poop in his yard, and he like issued them a warning. He like point pointed the gun at them. My fucking god. He says, "quote He pointed the gun toward my cousin's neck, and he said, now you're gonna die.' Quote a Stone Cold." Stone told KOMO, quote, I was going to try to do something, and he pointed the gun to me. He said, you do anything, I'm going to shoot you. So it happened just after 9 p.m. on um, Wednesday. Lots of people called the cops. It was one of those things. And the gunshot, the gunshot was heard. Um, the man shot um, the Shauna and Bretches, which was, um, Carl Stone was like the guy there. And then his two, his two cousins. Wait, who got shot? Okay. I think you're you're saying like way too many people. I don't know like what what's going on. Um two okay, two people got shot. Shauna. And um But not seriously hurt? Not seriously hurt. They're no. okay. They're okay, yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. okay that we're joking around. Yes. <laughs> okay, good. That's why I was like wasn't yeah. Yeah. Um It, it seems like Michael Bretches and Shauna Umphrey. It was their 62-year-old neighbor. And Carl Stone is the one who's telling the story. And he's like the cousin. Okay. But Carl Stone is the one who did not get shot. Michael right. Bretches and Shauna Umphrey did get shot. By this crazy 62-year-old neighbor. Yeah. Who apparently cannot stand dog poop. It's pretty messed up. Yeah. But here's what happened. So police treated Umphrey on the scene and took her to the hospital. And then Bretches was believed to have driven himself there later for medical treatment. Um, so their neighbor hid inside his home and there was a standoff. And the SWAT team managed to get inside the house around 3 a.m. and found the man with a self-inflicted gunshot. <gasps> He's in the hospital with a life-threatening injury. What? Yes. I kind of feel like there's so, like there's way more like they need to look into that guy's past like and cross reference it with cold case files because you don't just do that one day you don't you don't just go out in your your fucking yard and shoot two of your neighbors randomly and you never did anything else in your life like there's got to be something else going on. Shit there. is fucked up. And there. then they talk about another story. They're like, it's not the first time dog poop has caused a conflict. And they talk about this guy in Connecticut who um, who stabbed another guy because his like pit bull pooped on on their on their lawn. <laughs> like what the fuck? Yeah, people need to not be so fucking petty. Yes, I thought that was a good one. Yeah, that it was like a good escalated one. very quickly. Very quickly. Yeah. Uh, good. Well, that's a happy note uh, to end the pod on. Um, thanks for listening, y'all. The dog is okay.
And that's the most important thing. Yeah. Um, but also, it's important that y'all are listening, and we appreciate it. Tell your friends! Tell random people on the street. Just, you know, mumble to yourself while you're sitting on the bus. You know, mystery murder thing, mystery murder thing. Like, kind of look like you're crazy. It'll get people interested. They'll be like... What is that? I have to look it up on the Google box. Are you into mysteries? Murderies? Thingies? <laughs> Thingies? <laughs> huh? Huh? Exactly. What? You know what I mean. Oh, wink, wink, Winks as good of a nudge to a blind parrot. What? what? I don't That's not the line, <laughs> but it's something like that. <laughs> a winks as good as a nod to a blind man? Is that it? Sure. Sure. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, bye. Um, oh, visit our Patreon page, please. Um, visit our Instagram page, please. Yeah, follow us on Insta, mystery murdery thingy. Yes. Or email us, mysterymurderythingy at gmail.com. Tell us how much we suck, tell us how great we are. Ask a question, tell us a great fucking story, that'd be cool. Tell us your mysteries, suggest a topic, um... Give us good recipes. Um, Wire us some money. All those things. Or none of them. <laughs> but thank you for listening. Okay, we're, we're fucking done. Okay, bye. Uh, bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.